This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Spaying and neutering reduces the number of unwanted litters and helps reduce the number of unwanted pets or stray animals that enter shelters or rescues. The procedures have specific health benefits that can help our pets leave a healthier, longer life and may reduce behavioral issues. To discuss this today in the studio, we've got several guests. Deborah Boswell is communications coordinator with the Mississippi Animal Rescue League. Beth Adcock with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant. And Sharon Garner is executive director with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. You can join our conversation this morning if you have a question about spaying or neutering, maybe an experience that you'd like to share, or a pet question with, for Dr. Major. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder, if you ever miss Creature comforts on thursdays it repeats every saturday morning at six so good morning libby let's uh, start out with you like we usually do and get an idea of what's going on in your yard let's see right now in fact i'm in my yard now so i'm uh listening to pine warblers and watching phoebe's run around in the yard watching one phoebe right now hoping that he's going to have a mate somewhere around and uh the other thing I've got to get ready for the great backyard bird count that'll start tomorrow. And if our listeners want to get in on that, it's an easy thing to do and a fun way to be involved in a global bird counting project. It's uh, one of the biggest citizen science events that go on around the world. So it's it. I think I, I enjoy jumping in and getting to be a part of it, so you might too. If you just go to Great Backyard Bird Count, you can get enrolled so that you can uh, put your results into the uh, computerized program, or you can mail in your results old school, or you can just do your count on your own if you want to, if you want to be low-tech. But uh, what the kind of rules of this game call for are 15 minutes at least of constant watching and listening where you record everything that you see and hear all the species and then if you can get the numbers of birds that you're seeing you need to get that as close to it as you can so if there are four male cardinals and two females you might want to write down those numbers instead of just the species you're seeing but it's a lot of fun and um, it's easy to get enrolled by just going to great backyard bird camp so and the other I'm sorry, thing go ahead. yep uh-huh. no i was just going to say the other thing that's going on right now i guess is anybody that's interested in herps or particularly amphibians and salamanders this is frogs and salamanders this is their prime time of the year it's cool weather but not too cold and Lots of rain and moisture, and, of course, that's what they love. So if you want to hear the, um, the, 
I guess the three that I'm listening to each night are the spring peepers and the chorus frogs and the leopard frogs. But there are many other frogs out there calling. And again, you can go online and listen to the sounds so you know what you're listening to, or you can just get out and enjoy them. And if you really want to get into it, uh, get you a good flashlight or a, a headlamp and search around the edges of bodies of water and you might be able to see what you hear calling. Uh, yesterday evening, every time I would get close to, there was a one chorus frog that I could hear so distinctly. You know, that's the one that sounds like you're running your fingers through, over the comb, mm-hmm. Kevin. And so I had one close by and every time I would just take one more step, <laughs> he would stop. If I backed up three steps, he would start again. But so I, I knew that he could detect me a lot easier than I could detect him. But anyway, that's a fun thing to do right now. Yeah, I heard uh, the, my first frog the other day on my walk after work at the Brit, uh, Br- Bright Park in Pearl. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because it's uh, – and it is amazing because you hear it and you look and it's like, well, where is the little creature? And as you said, the closer you get, he's like, I ain't showing you where I am, so I'm going to be quiet till you back off again. So that is a lot of fun. A, a quick follow-up on the backyard bird count. If you would remind us of what what is the use of this information – how is the information useful to um, to people? Oh, very good question. Yeah. Well, the information is used by scientists all over the world to monitor bird populations. And remember, we've talked about how things like little lipkins are expanding their range and showing up places where we've not seen them before. So these kinds of big events where everybody gets out and looks helps us tell where things are living right now, if they're moving around, if species are moving. And, um, you know, sadly enough, we know that bird populations are tending to decrease each year. And we want to record that. And if you can map out the information and tell which species are decreasing in which areas, you might go in those areas and find a reason or find something that you can do to help those birds. And the main way we help birds, of course, is by providing habitat and then kind of leaving them alone to some extent. Watch them from a distance and enjoy listening to them. Also, I think I remember from past discussions, if you see a flock of birds that while you're watching and it's there's actually 15 and you say 14, that's not going to be a big deal. It's really sort of just the general information that they're looking for to, 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 you know, to help with some of the things that you were talking about there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, there's not going to be any big decision made on exactly what number of birds there are. So estimate as best you can or just enjoy recording the kinds of birds you see if it gets to be too involved. And you can put like 100 plus Mm -hmm. if it's a big a big flock of blackbirds that sat down in your yard for a while and left, you know, and you can tell it was a whole lot of birds. I have, though, it's kind of a fun thing to do when you see a big crowd of birds like that. If you kind of go to one edge with your binoculars and count what you can count, then if they'll stay still or relatively still, you can sort of estimate from there. Well, I counted 40 birds over here, and there's at least 10 times that many. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more doable than you might think when you really start trying. 
This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. As usual, Dr. Troy Major is joining us from his clinic in Jackson. So good morning, Dr. Major. We're going to be talking about spaying and neutering today. So when should pet owners uh, think about having these procedures done? Well, I'm sure the panel of experts can help us with that. <laughs> Usually we, re- we recommend somewhere. Okay, first of all, a lot of times I think we spay and neuter too early. Uh, my suggestion in most cases is probably more in the six-month range, uh, and that's arbitrary in a way. But the spaying and neutering at 12 to 14 weeks, uh, I think there are some complications for that, uh, simply because of size, but also of development. Uh, one thing I'll mention, and I'm sure uh, we'll touch on that, this time of year, uh, a lot of uh, female dogs have been in, in heat, and especially the older ones, we've seen four or five cases of uh, severe pyometra, which I'm talking about dogs now in six to ten year range. And this can be critical. Uh, and uh, we have seen dogs that would die from that. And also, just generally, it's one of those things that can't happen to pyometra. It's influenced by the uh, repeated uh, coming in season over time and uh, certainly can be a problem. Um, that's revolves and basically uh, simplest way to describe it would be infected uterus. Uh, some of those become quite large and can rupture uh, into the abdomen if uh, such a pressure can be built up. I think we've taken several out that were uh, the uterus and the contents probably were in the four to six pound range. So that's a lot of a lot of uterus, if you will. So. But, yes, I, I recommend generally somewhere around six months, uh, give or take, uh, with cats. If they start spraying before then, they need to be uh, neutered immediately if they're house cats. So that's my, my take on it. All right. And uh, does it usually involve an overnight stay at the clinic? You know, it can uh, can be sent home the same day. On the other hand, I like to be able to inspect them the next day just to be sure they're all okay. And it gives them a chance to recover without any noise or uh, going home, what shall I say, drunk, incoordinated, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I like to keep them overnight myself. And then finally, uh, recuperation after the surgery. Is this usually when they we get the little cone that I, that they always that pets always look so uh, a bit uh, un, unhappy when we have to put them on them? It depends on the pet. Probably about ten to twenty percent probably need a cone. Uh, most of them will leave the uh, incision site alone, but some don't. So you have to be aware of that and have the opportunity to put a cone on if the animal is licking or chewing excessively. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and we have several guests in studio with us this morning. Deborah Boswell, Communications Coordinator with the Mississippi Animal Rescue League. Beth Adcock with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant. And Sharon Garner, who's Executive Director with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. That's what we're going to be talking about throughout the hour. Dr. Major will stay on the line if you have a pet question. And if you have a question about spaying and neutering or maybe an experience that you'd like to share with us about getting your pets spayed or neutered, you can always email the show as well. <coughs> Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. As promised, though, Fletch is holding on for us, and we'll go to that call. Good morning, Fletch. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. A couple questions on a couple different winged uh, uh, friends around us. Um, first, I drove from Vicksburg to Cleveland Tuesday and then Clarksdale to uh, Ridgeland yesterday. 
and I must have seen about a dozen red-tailed hawks each day. Um, is there something about their prey um, moving around that has them out? Libby, any ideas? Had a hard time hearing right. what he was. Can you repeat that a little? Yeah, Fletch was saying he's seen a lot of red-tailed hawks in the area recently. He was wondering if this is a, a time of year that you would see them frequently. Yeah, it's a real good time for them to be out uh, for two reasons. Uh, first off, because there's still no leaves on the trees. There are not as many leaves on the trees. And it's easy for them to perch and see what they're, you know, what they're hunting. So you might see them out in the open, whereas if the trees were covered with the leaves, they'd be hidden in the leaves. So you're seeing them because of that. But you're also seeing them because they're getting very active. They need to eat more when it's cold. When you have these great sunny days intermixed with the cold and rain, then on the sunny day, they've got to get out there and find something to eat. You know, they're getting pretty hungry and need it. And then I'd have to look at red-tailed hawk information to be sure, but I imagine this is the time that they are looking for their mates and starting a nest. You know, the eagles have already, they've been into that for a long time now. Larger birds of prey tend to nest early in the season, the hawks and owls both. And um, owls, we've heard a lot of racket from great horned owls and from barred owls lately, and they're defending territory. So I imagine that red-tailed hawks are out there looking for mates right now. All right. Uh, My other encounter, um, I've got what I think uh, are a couple of big brown bats. Um. And uh, we noticed some scat uh, next to our, our house, and I was pretty sure of some things that it wasn't. I had no idea it was this until I saw some little black feet coming out from under this thermometer that we have hanging. I wouldn't call it the most ideal uh, location. Is there any way to encourage them to to find something more secure, even if it's on my property? If, if you um, put a a bat house out when you've seen where they might be and um, that encourages the odds of getting them to come to a nest a box, you know, a nesting box but it's certainly it's not all, it doesn't always happen you know, it's it's hard to get bats to go where they, where you want them to go because they've got a, a pretty narrow range of necessities that they're looking for and if they're getting close to your house or getting in your house in the attic or something, of course, they want the warmth and the protection that it gives them. It seems ideal to them, right? But, yeah, you certainly do need to discourage that. But have you seen them going into a part of your house at all? Or where was this thermometer? Just on the outside of the house? Or? It's it's outside on a patio, which is not, not too far from the door. Uh, and I've never seen them flying around to my knowledge, and wasn't exactly sure what that, that arm was coming out from under there, so I took the thermometer off, and it was a larger one and a smaller one, and it was it was a little, a little unnerving. They fell. I've never seen them scurry around, um, but uh, I rehung the thermometer, and they were back the next day. Um, um, but they should be fairly safe, uh, correct? Yeah, you, you might want to take the thermometer down for a while so that you're not giving them that hiding place. Kind of force them to to look for another place to hide in the day and hopefully it'll be 
a place that's further away. But again, anything you could give them a structure, you know, a few feet away on a tree or something would be helpful. That seems to meet the same requirements that they're finding behind that thermometer. You might be able to coax them away by removing the thermometer and then giving them an alternate place. All right, Duff Fletch, thanks for kicking us off this morning with your phone call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB. Good Think- luck. We have uh, several guests in the studio. So to start out, I'd like for each of our guests to kind of give you a brief idea of the organization that they work for or represent. We will start with Sharon Garner, who's executive director with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. Sharon, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Sharon Garner. I'm with, uh, again, Mississippi Spay and Neuter. Um, we have the Big Fix Clinic. Um, we're now in Richland. have been there since 2019. Um, our organization has um, been operational with a brick-and-mortar uh, clinic since 2008, uh, uh, we started out in Pearl and then purchased our own building um, in 2019. Um, in December of 2022, um, we just celebrated our 100,000th surgery wow. um, through different programs. Um, we had the clinic, um, voucher program, as well as a transport program. Um, due to funding, we have uh, stopped the voucher program as well as the transport, um, but we, of course, have the clinic there. Uh, Deborah Boswell is with us. She is the communication coordinator with the Mississippi Animal Rescue League. Tell us a little bit about that, Deborah. Uh, yes, the Mississippi Animal Rescue League is the largest open intake animal shelter in central Mississippi. I've been with the agency for 47 years, 48 years, something like that. I was the director for 44, uh, retired, and uh, stepped down, and I'm now communications coordinator. And spay neuter has certainly been a focus from day one for us. Um, and we serve as uh, being open intake. We take in any animal, dog, cat, bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just name it. We get it: horses, uh, livestock, and little critters, rabbits, guinea pigs. So, um, and we take them from anywhere within the state, and we get them from all over the state. Also joining us is Beth Adcock. She's with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant. Uh, Beth, I think we're going to talk about the car tags uh, in a little bit. So tell us a little about the work of the Board of Animal Health. Hi, yes, I'm Beth Adcock. I'm the um, Director of Companion Animals and Communications with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health. And I administer the I Care for Animals Car Tag Fund. Um, and I'll be talking about that a little bit, about the, how it um, benefits spay neuter um, programs of shelters and counties, commun- um, municipalities around the state. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question for us this morning, you can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So I think for the questions, ladies, I'll just kind of throw them out there. And please, anybody, feel free to uh, answer. And um, if we have more than one answer, that's great, too. So first, let's just talk about it. Why is it so important to spay and neuter our pets? Oh, goodness. Um, So many reasons, um, but some of the main ones. um, It helps control the pet population, overpopulation, should I say. Um, A drastic statistic in Mississippi um, is that for every human born, there are seven cats and dogs born. Um, Shelters and rescues cannot adopt, uh, transport, or even euthanize their way out of it. Um, It's a community problem, and it's going to take all of us working together, um, animal welfare organizations as well as the community, um, to help with this. Um, It's also um, 
public health and safety. Um, a controlled pet population can reduce disease, uh, not only in the species, um, but as well as zoonotic diseases, um, which are conditions um, that can be transferred from animals to humans, um, and also less free roaming animals, um, which decreases chances of preying um, on other animals or humans, uh, also decreases road accidents involving cats and dogs, which approximately 85% of the animals hit by vehicles are intact, um, with the largest percentage being males uh, chasing the females that are in heat. Anyone else? Um, well, I wanted to address the, 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 um, the status of overpopulation in Mississippi. That cer- certainly has touched on it. The overpopulation in Mississippi is is beyond crisis level. And as a large open intake shelter, I, I think at this point probably the largest open intake shelter in the state we're getting last year our intake numbers were 8,000 over 8,700 animals. There are not homes for 8,700 animals. Now our numbers are are down for several reasons. The year after Katrina, we took in 17,000 animals. A lot of those came from people who were displaced um, from Louisiana as well as Mississippi. And um, as um, as open intake shelter, we, we receive on a regular basis animals from about 125 mile radius, and sometimes as far as North Mississippi and even South Mississippi. And um, the biggest impact for us is certainly has been the uh, the big fix clinic and those numbers that they have spayed and neutered. And also, after Katrina, we we there were a lot of of rescue groups that stepped forward during that time, a lot of people that started rescues and a lot of smaller <clears throat> shelters in smaller communities. If those weren't there, we're, I don't think that it's that the decreases for uh, for animals has gone down as much as it seems like. I think that it's simply been spread out more across the state because there are now communities that had no animal programs then that do have animal controls, either animal control shelters now or um, nonprofit organizations, and then some independent rescuers. So um, we're still at a, uh, beyond a crisis level with animal overpopulation. So uh, in the opener, I mentioned that the, also this has some health benefits for our pets. Can anyone speak to what are maybe some of the health benefits are? Um, sure. sure. Um, it, it does increase the lifespan um, upwards of 13 to over 30 percent. Um, it also reduces... Uh, to completely removing the risk of reproductive organ diseases, um, infections, or cancers, just as Dr. Major had mentioned. And in males, um, and then in females, um, when spayed before their first cycle. Um, and also positive behavior modifications, um, such as less aggression, um, less fighting, those types of things. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. We have three guests in studio with us this morning. Deborah Boswell is Communications Coordinator with the Mississippi Animal Rescue League. Beth Adcock is with the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and works with the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant. And Sharon Garner is Executive Director with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. We're talking about spaying and neutering your pets as well as uh, if you have a pet question for Dr. Major or if you'd like to share what you've seen when you've been out with, in the state of Mississippi. Uh, that's all we're looking for today. want to get to the car tag program in just a minute, but we did have an email that came in asking about uh, options, uh, if there are any free clinics in Mississippi or options for pet owners that might not be able to afford the procedure. So 
Um, Sharon, any thoughts on that? Um, yes. Um, if you actually visit our website um, at msspan.org and go to locate services if you're not in our area, um, but it lists all 82 counties, and you click on your county, and it lets you know if there's anything local. Um, funding is a huge issue issue for <coughs> all animal welfare organizations. Um, so free, um, yes, there are. Um, some are are, are just uh, a lower amount. Um, at our clinic, uh, the Big Fix, um, we work with anyone um, to get it down to whatever they can afford uh, t- as long as the animal spayed or neutered. Um, but, of course, that takes funding. Uh, if you would, repeat the uh, uh, the website for us. It's msspan.org. So that's two S's, msspan.org. All right. The Mississippi Animal Rescue League um, has a low-cost spay-neuter program to okay. help individuals who aren't any sort of assistance like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, disability, retirement, age-dependent children, anything like that. Um, there is a small fee. I mean, it's where we have our certificates for uh, cats are 30, dogs are 45, and we help um, as many as we can. We do about 1,200 of those surgeries a year, n- not at our clinic, but ve- veterinarians throughout the central part of the state that are part of our program. All right, since we're talking about funding, Beth, this might be a good idea to talk about the I Care for Animals car tag. So tell us about that, if you would. Sure. Um, the I Care for Animals uh, car tag fund was set up to support uh, counties and municipalities and nonprofits with their animal care efforts um, and focusing on spay neuter. Um, it is funded through the sale of the specialty license plates. Um, you may have seen them there. They say I care for animals at the bottom and they have the red dog and cat heart logo. Um, so that's what it's funded through. And with the program, um, we accept applications from the different organizations and the counties and municipalities to award grants. Um, and we do this quarterly. Um, we help organizations around the state. I think probably every county has um, in some way received, um, benefited from this program. So, and of course, the more tags we sell, the more money we can put back into the communities to spay neuter. And so this it's an annual fee, I believe. How much is that? The fee is um, an extra $33 on your car tag. Um, and... Um, which is pretty low for a specialty license plate, actually, compared to a lot of them. Um, and the majority of that, uh, 25 of that goes to um, the actual program, and the other is for the county tax collector, archives, and history. But So we do get $25 of each of the tags that goes directly into the fund. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We have a couple of callers to get to, so we'll go back to the phones beginning again in Brookhaven. Susan is on the line. Good morning, Susan. Go ahead, please. Uh, good morning. I have a question uh, for the lady with the big, big rig. Uh, there's a concern I have with a feral cat that keeps having litter after litter after litter. I'm able to approach her. What? How would I go about getting her to, to y'all? What happens then? Do you spay her like that day and I turn around and release her? Is that is that what happens? Um, well, there are um, humane traps um, that you can either purchase or some um, animal welfare organizations, you can actually um, rent them out from them. Um, that's an easy way to catch the ferals. Um, what we do, um, we do have a reservation per se. Um, you call in, we make a reservation for you, like an appointment, um, catch the cat, bring her in, um, 
mostly it's the same day. Sometimes we have to work in the ferals, so they may have to stay with the, with us a day or two. Um, then once you pick them up, um, what is recommended, of course, you try to keep them in as long as possible. Um, it is 7 to 14 days, but of course with ferals, sometimes that is not doable. Um, of course, the females, you would we would definitely tell you to try to keep in as long as possible, even if it's a couple of days. Um, but most of the time, you can re-release them the next day. Okay. And what is the cost of that? Um, well, for us, um, with the ferals, as long as they come in a humane trap, you allow us to ear tip them, um, which is where a fourth of the left ear is cut off. And what that is, it's a visual symbol that that cat has been spayed or neutered um, since you can't really touch them and see if they have a tattoo. Um, so that ear tip is that visual. And as long as those circumstances are met, um, then we have it's $15 for the surgery itself. And then we do require a rabies vaccine. Um, since that is state law, um, we do a rabies vaccine for 15 as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and thank you for what you're doing. Thanks, Susan, for your call. Just a disclaimer here, although I've been accused of being a wild guy, my feral is a little (laughs) bit different from that feral. (laughs) Okay. Can I add something to that? Sure. Um, Since she said she was from Brookhaven, the Brookhaven Animal Rescue League does have humane traps that they will work with um, people in the community that they can loan out and, um, of course, um, work with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. And I believe they may have vouchers also in the the community but if you'd like to contact the Brookhaven Animal Rescue League they do have the humane traps. All right very good. Uh, Let's stay on the phone lines here for a bit. Uh, Carolyn has called in from Past Christian. Good morning Carolyn you're on the air with us. Go ahead. I have two um, like sleeping bed pillows that uh, are their feather I don't think they're down they're feather pillows and they just needed to be replaced and I didn't want to throw them away and I was wondering if I Split them open and scattered feathers in the backyard. Will birds build nests with them? Um, Libby, instead any, of just throwing them away. <laughs> Libby, any thoughts on that? I have never been asked that question before. Um, this is probably a little too early to be doing that to try it. But I, I wonder if those feathers have been treated with anything. I don't know. Oh. Okay. Uh, I have to look that up and kind of do some research. I'm not sure. I've never really seen a lot of feathers in a bird's nest other than, you know, they use some of their own feathers. So I'm kind of thinking okay. they won't use them, to be honest. And you might you might ask these ladies about the possibility of donating it as a dog bed somewhere. Would that be possible? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'll call the Humane Society here because I do contribute to them. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I hadn't thought about chemicals in the feathers. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Carolyn, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about spaying and neutering your pet with three guests in studio with us. Deborah Boswell is Communications Coordinator with the Mississippi Animal Rescue League. Beth Adcox with the Animal, uh, I'm sorry, the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant. And Sharon Garner is Executive Director with Mississippi Spay and Neuter. So I think we touched on this a little bit briefly before, but if we could maybe expand on some of the problems that, that pet own, uh, overpopulation causes. I'm sure both Sharon and Beth both have ideas as well, um, and things that they that they see with the problems. But as a as such a large shelter, um, of course, we see so many animals every day. Right now, we're averaging forty five to fifty a day. By June and July, we'll be getting 
60, 70 a day, some days over 100. So um, those, just those numbers put such a burden on the community, puts a burden on the nonprofit trying to help those animals as many as we can. Also, what we see a lot of in our community is, um, in a lot of communities, are how many of these animals become abandoned, um, especially if there's not an open intake shelter or an animal control shelter in the area that can take them as someone's trying to, to place them. Um, puppies and kittens that are left abandoned, they die a slow death from starvation, disease, um, untreated injuries. Dogs, uh, bear in mind, and cats can start reprodu- cats can start reproducing at five months. I've seen them reproduce at four and a half months. Um, dogs at six months. Even unhealthy dogs and cats can reproduce, adding to the overpopulation problem. And then there's a, you know there's a public safety issue when animals are abandoned. They pack up. Dogs become form packs, and they become very territorial and aggressive, especially with female dogs in heat around. And cats become feral. Maybe they weren't feral when you put them out, but you've now abandoned them. They become feral, and then they join the, the large colonies just grow and grow and grow unchecked with litter after litter after litter, and they can have uh, yeah, average three litters a year. So it's just a never-ending it's like a it's like an ever ending cycle if there's not some intervention, and um, often the weaker kittens fail to thrive and die a slow death in those colonies. And to add just a little bit to what Deborah said, um, uh, of course, a poor quality of life for the animals, um, as well as an increase in neglect um, from humans, neglect and abuse from mm-hmm. humans, um, and and something that is a very touchy subject is um, shelters and rescues have to make difficult decisions. Um, due to this overcrowded um, and o- pet overpopulation, and it's so sad um, that that shelters have to go through yes. that. Uh, Deborah, could part of the solution be more shelters? No, in my opinion, no. Um, what you're 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 just spreading you're, what you're doing is spreading the problem out. You're not really solving the problem. The only answer to this problem is spay neuter and responsible pet ownership. And you know when you're when you're um, when, when you're, the more shelters you build, the the less funds there are, the more animals that are that are out that accumulate somewhere that can't go anywhere. Um, they may adopt a few in their community, but when you overload those shelters, um, that's not resolving the problem. And you're talking about quality of life for these animals. Um, so many shelters today are limited intake shelters. We're one of very few open intake shelters still. And by open intake. That means anybody can walk in our door at any time that we're open and leave an animal. Appointments aren't needed. There's, we charge no fee to take an animal. We certainly appreciate donations. That's how we function and how we get by, how we pay our bills, and how we do what we do. But a, a truly open and take shelter, you can walk in that door. You can turn in that animal, whether it's your animal, whether it's a stray animal, for whatever reason. And... Um, when you have shelters that are limited in take, that means they're limited in what they can take. If they don't have an empty cage, they can't take it. That may be five, five or six animal, new animals a week or maybe five or six a month. And then in limited intake shelters, um, those animals are there until they're adopted, whether that's five or six months or five or six years. So, again, we go back to the quality of life and uh, and, and the in the flow. I mean, we're, um, we're a large shelter and... Uh, we are very open about the fact that we have to euthanize so many animals. We've got a choice. We can take them in so they're not on the street, reproducing, going hungry, being abused, being hit, being injured, being diseased, or, or, or we can, you know, we can turn them away and say, 
it would be easy for us to say tomorrow we're going to start, we're going to be a limited intake shelter. That means that we would take in about 1500 to 1600 a year, and that would be it. Where would those 8,000, um, the 7,000 animals go that we don't take in? Where would they go? Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, no, uh, more shelters is not the answer to the question. Definitely a spay-neuter. That is the only solution to this problem. In the words of uh, Mississippi Spay and Neuter's late founder, uh, Miss Elena Dare, she always would say that you have to stop the problem before it starts. Um, and the only way to do that, it's spay and neuter. It's the only way. I would like to add one thing to that. Um, a lot of these um, shelters and rescues, the nonprofits, are trying to take up the slack for lack of animal control in the counties or the cities. Mississippi mm-hmm. is, you know, we're made up mm-hmm. of a lot of small um, towns, and um, they may not have animal control pro- um, programs that will pick up the roaming animals or shelter them and, and, you know, handle the population. So I think a lot of the nonprofit organizations are trying to take up that slack. So it would be a definite benefit for um, our counties and cities to look at um, how they can improve animal control in their area. Good point. I yeah, agree. <clears throat> that is a, that's an excellent point. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and several guests in studio with us this morning. We've been visiting with Sharon Garner, Executive Director with the Mississippi Spay and Neuter, uh, Beth Adcock from the Mississippi Board of Animal Health and the I Care for Animal Car Tag Grant, and Deborah Boswell, the Communications Coordinator with Mississippi Animal Rescue League. We've been talking about the importance of spaying and neutering your pets. Um, and so... Um, Sharon, uh, talk briefly during the break about this, but give us an idea of the trend. Is this a, is this is public awareness of uh, pet overpopulation and the need for spaying and neutering? Is it on the increase? Do you think more people are aware of this? Are more pet owners being more responsible in this way? Um, well, as I said, um, it, it has. I, I have seen the increase uh, in my twenty years. I have seen an increase of awareness and education uh, concerning pet overpopulation. Um, but it seems like probably a few years before COVID. Um, really started to see a boom again um, in the pet overpopulation, and not just in Mississippi, um, almost the entire United States. So in addition to if you're a pet owner getting your pet spayed or neutered, what can the general public do to help out this cause? Okay. Um, well, of course, um, getting their own animal spayed or neutered. Um, but as well, uh, the number one thing is spread the word. Educate. Um, do your research and then educate. Um, helping neighbors, elderly persons, or just anyone if they don't have uh, access to vehicles or transportation, um, but they need their animal spayed or neutered. A volunteer to to take their animal to that appointment. Um, Also get involved with animal welfare organizations and really learn about them. Volunteering, most animal welfare organizations um, love to have volunteers. Um, And then as well as donating supplies, um, that's uh, resources that we do not have to spend on on supplies um, that we can spend elsewhere. Um, And then, of course, donating monetarily. Um, Funding, we compete. There's so many nonprofit organizations, human animals across the board. Um, So it's hard competition. Um, So funding um, as well. And then uh, just to mention about the locate services, um, as I mentioned about on our website if if you're in a county that has no means of low-cost spay neuter in your area talk to your local groups um see about starting a voucher program they can contact me um and we can teach them how to 
how to form a voucher program, um, and that would really truly help. Um, with spay and neuter, we're actually missing the Big Fix Clinic is the only standalone brick and mortar spay neuter clinic in the state that is not associated with a shelter, um, as well as uh, there's only one group um, that I'm aware of in Natchez, uh, spay neuter Natchez, that is a standalone voucher that is a program that is not associated with the shelter. So you don't have to be associated with the shelter or rescue in order to to help with the voucher program. And the website, I think, let me get this right, it's mssspan.org? Correct. Okay, very good. Uh, Deborah, what about shelters? What can the public do to help out shelters in their community? Well, similar to the clinic, we have our own expenses as well, and personnel and medications, and we have a hospital on site at the Mississippi Animal Rescue League and do our spay-neuters there and those medications to to uh, to perform those spay neuters, anesthesia, all of that is very expensive. Um, you know, like Sharon said, help your neighbors. If you you know if your pet's already fixed and you see someone in need, you see an animal in need, you think you know maybe you've got a, a young couple over there and they've got three kids and they they've got a dog that they love a lot, but the money the extra money's just not there. Step up, see if you can help them. You know, a little bit to get that animal fixed, and um, just be aware, spread the word. Um, and, you know, the big thing is the public, I think that the public has a hard time seeing the whole picture. And at this point in time, I think the, a lot of the public blames the shelters for the problem. The shelters aren't the problem. The problem of the, the irresponsible or uh, individuals that do not spay and neuter their pets are those that, um, that have the, don't have the ability financially to spay and neuter. Help them find a, a, a program that they can participate in and, and get their pets spayed and neutered. It all lies on to the, the, the people and the pet owners and the community to help help those cats and, and dogs. And, mm-hmm. and, and Beth, you mentioned uh, animal control and then lack thereof in some uh, cities and counties. And I don't want to put you on the spot, so if you don't know, please, mm-hmm. please feel free to say so. But how, do, do you know how someone, if your local area does not have good animal control, would you go to the, the city government? Do you know where you would go to start to maybe try to rectify that situation? Um, yes, I would definitely start with my local elected officials, whether it was in the city or within the county, um, and talk to them about you know the problems they're seeing and and not only you know the problem but how they can help possibly the cities and the counties. Uh, both Mississippi Spay and Neuter and Mississippi Animal Rescue League are great resources on um, <clears throat> for cities and counties of how to. Um, start spay-neuter programs, like they don't even necessarily have to have a shelter. They can have a spay-neuter program for their um, constituents. So, um, and they can also contact me with the Board of Animal Health and I can provide them information. But um, yes, another way to help um, is to promote um, spay-neuter programs. Like it's easy on social media, share their post, share their, if somebody is promoting a program in their area, Share it so more people know about it. All right, as we wrap up, if you would remind us again, if someone's interested in supporting through the car tag, how do they go about doing that? They can purchase the car tag um, wherever they purchase their regular car tag at their uh, county courthouse or other location. And um, if they have any questions, they can give me a call or they can check on our website uh, at the Mississippi Board of Animal Health. And um, it's it's easy. You just ask for the I Care for Animals car tag sometimes they may not have it in because there's so many different um, varieties of specialty car tags around in the state so they may have to order it but just they can ask about it 
And actually, it might be good if they don't have them in because that means people are buying them. Oh, we can hope, yes. <laughs> so we've got about a minute left, and uh, Deborah and, and Sharon, maybe a little bit of a personal thing here, but Deborah, especially with you, I imagine it over time this must kind of take a toll on you to see the, the suffering of these poor uh, dogs and cats that come in the shelters. Every do you day. need sort of a, a break from it every now and then? Um, well, you do that at the end of the day. You just go home and you you kind of recoup and and know that that's what we've chosen to stay um, stay in in the field that we're in. But every one of our staff, at the end of the day, we're just wiped out. We are just wiped out. And you go home and you you know play with your pets and your children and your grandchildren and and um, and you just kind of decompress um, because all of our staff are so committed to the work that we do. And um, saying no or turning an animal away is not an option for us because we know the end result if that happens. And um, we're begging the public to step up, step up, step out, spay, neuter, help us stop the problem, help us. We can't do it alone. And Sharon, any final thoughts? Um, I just want to kind of reiterate um, what I said at the top of the program to get it into uh, uh, the community's head. In Mississippi, more than seven cats and dogs are born for every human. So if you are a family of three, that is 21 pets that you should have in your household in order for every animal to have a loving home. That will wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. To hear today's show or previous show, you can search for Creature Comforts on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show was produced and engineered today by Java Chapman. And so for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guests, Deborah Boswell, Beth Adcock, and Sharon Garner, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10. It's AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. And we'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.